very welcome to the programme. Well, coming up in the next hour, from being catapulted to global fame as Luna Lovegood in the Harry Potter films, to her struggles with and eventual recovery from anorexia, I'll be chatting with actress Ivana Lynch. Also today, he was told he would never sing again following contact with a deadly virus. Composer and musician Miles O'Reilly and how he's now overcome his doctor's diagnosis. And having painted the portrait of everyone from Ed Sheeran to Bill Clinton to the Queen, I'll be chatting with one of our greatest living artists, Colin Davidson. As always, we'd love to hear your thoughts on anything featured on the show. You can text us to 51551. You can email Miriam at rt.ie or you can tweet at Miriam O'Cowell. Now, my first guest this morning is an actor, writer and activist who was catapulted to global fame when she starred as Luna Lovegood in the Harry Potter films. She's going to be appearing at the Hinterland Festival of Literature and Arts later this month. Ivana Lynch, good morning to you. Good morning, Miriam. Thanks for having me. Lovely to see you. I gather your home. Yes. Partly for your sister's wedding. Yes, exactly. Wedding and and the uh, book festival. So, yeah, it all came do together. You, do you like coming home? You live in London now, don't yeah. you? Mm-hmm. Do I like coming home? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I do. Definitely. It's changed in the last few years because all my sisters are growing up and having kids. And <laughs> <laughs> it's gotten busy. But no, I, I, I love coming home and it's precious, really. Do you like London? London's interesting, isn't it? I mean, do I you like London. living there? Yeah. I love it. I just love that there's... You can do anything, really. There's classes in anything. And I'm just the kind of person I I love learning. I'm always looking for a new hobby. And London's just very open-minded that way. It doesn't matter what age you are. Um, very multicultural. It's just, yeah, you always see something. And I know from before you used to live in America. Mm-hmm. How does it compare, say, when you lived in the States? Do you prefer London or prefer America? I did. I really liked America too. But I think I started to find the the political climate quite stressful the how it was there it was just such extremes there wasn't much room for nuanced conversation it, it was a bit scary and you know we've I think we've seen that play mm. out really so I left in around 2016 or nearly 2017 yeah I just find I don't know people in England are, are a bit more more grounded or something and mm. that's, not, that's a general statement but yeah I just felt more at home feel more at home there you can also be completely anonymous there. Yeah, true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's in Ireland? Everyone knows everyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it doesn't matter whether you're famous or not. It's yeah, nothing to exactly. do with that. Yeah. <laughs> my, my family are all teachers, so they, they all get recognised more than me when, I, when we go out. By all their pupils. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, they all know them. Now, it's over 15 years, of course, since you so successfully auditioned for the role as Luna Lovegood in Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. 15,000 other young girls went for that. Were you amazed at the time that you did get that part? I mean, yes, in terms of it was such a life changing role and everyone was telling me, you know, don't. Don't get get carried away here. You're you're not going to get this. But um, so yeah, in, in in those terms, in in terms of how huge a franchise it was, yes. But I really had confidence in my connection with the character, and I really felt I understood her. So that was a kind of an anchor in the whole thing. And I think maybe there was a bit of naivety to that as well because I was 14 and didn't understand the industry how competitive it is and really how lucky I was but but yeah I just I loved the books I loved the character so much and that kind of gave me um something to hold on to it probably gave you a huge advantage do you think because you 
you really did love her character. I mean, mm. what did you think of Luna even before you played the role? Oh, she was a real light to me. Yeah, for, for many reasons. But because I think I, I like I connected with her because I was an awkward young girl, quite artistic, sensitive felt like I didn't fit in and didn't feel okay about it and she was somebody who didn't fit in but who wore it so naturally and accepted herself fully and I just I just thought she was so cool I thought she was brilliant and I, and every time I read her I felt such a relief I think you know that's just the power of books and literature that you can see sort of facets of yourself in characters and they they bring that out um but she was that for me she was one of the my biggest role models growing up she really, really helped me find myself and who I wanted to be. And when you went to the audition, I know it's a while back now to think about it, as well as auditioning and reading, did you let them know that? I mean, do you think that's partly why you got the role? Because you, you really did love her and you really almost identified with her. Yeah, th- I think those producers were nerds. <laughs> they like, <laughs> they were really obsessed with the stories as well. They loved them. They took great care with them. They honoured all just the, the details and the characters and they wanted somebody who had a real full portrait of it who wasn't you know who, who who had a lot to bring to it their own ideas I suppose and of course everyone has their own ideas on beloved characters and, and ours just happened to fit but yeah I think they appreciated that yeah I wasn't a, a trained polished actor I was just a nerdy little kid who really loved the books and was going to do everything to kind of um, to protect this character. Can you remember where you were when you heard you'd got it? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Oh, you don't forget that. Um, I was outside our local spa shop. <laughs> yeah, it was on the way home from school on the Monday because they told, they told us they were going to call and say, you know, after school. And I was just worried that because my mom was in the shop and she meets everyone she knows, she meets <laughs> the whole village in the shop. I just thought we're going to miss the call and then I won't get the part and then they'll give it to the next person. So <laughs> so I was I went into the, to do the shopping to try and hurry things up. And then they called my mobile and said you got it. Mm, yeah. Was that like an out of body experience? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That's the way to describe it. it I suppose it was similar to like in an emergency or when you panic, you're kind of like you're clinging to the nearest real thing. And for me, I was like, right, I just got to get home and do my homework. And then, I'm, you know, again, because I was a nerd. <laughs> just that's what I knew. And that was like, when something that big happens, it's like just one step at a time. Just just, just do the next thing and then the next thing. And yeah, for me, that was homework. And of course, you were 14 when you got it. But incredibly, just a few years before that, you had been hospitalised battling with anorexia as a lot of other young women and men. How old were you when you first developed that eating disorder? I was about 10 or 11. Yeah. And it's funny because I think you were the first person who I spoke about this with mm. many years ago, back when I was, I don't know, I was probably like 15 or 16. Yeah. And it's, I, I do often think back to that time because the PR department at, at the on the films were very protective. They knew my whole story and there had been a few n- newspapers who had threatened to leak the story and, and they, the, the PR department got really, well, very protective and they kind of said, you know, there's child confiden- confidentiality issues here. You're not allowed to do this. But then I really felt like I just, I needed to say 
this. Mm. I needed to tell my story a bit because otherwise you're just a bit one-dimensional. You're just kind of hiding behind the character. You're not really being yourself. And and the world of celebrity is so fake, is so image-based. And I was just finding it such a strain to be to trying to be fitting in with that while whilst also having these struggles, which I'd only sort of recently come out of. Yeah, so I I do often think back to that interview I did with Mm. you and like, oh, that's what started it. That's what made me be like, wow, there's such a feeling of liberation that comes in speaking your truth and and not being ashamed and, um, yeah, just not hiding these sort of darker parts of yourself. And a lot of people after that, like, were so praiseworthy of you because lots more people since then have spoken about their eating Mm. disorders. I've spoken to the great writer Louise O'Neill and she's like really open about it. But... I think also you helped a lot of people because you were so honest. I, I, I wouldn't know. I, can't, I don't really, I'm not really thinking about that. I'm thinking about just speaking truthfully because mm. people see through it when, when you're not or when you're being superficial. I think people, the more honest you can be, the more people connect, the more you'll sort of find kindred spirits. So I'm I'm glad if people, if, if they resonate with those things and and I found that through, I suppose, through books, really, I would encounter other weird characters or weird authors, weird voices, people struggling with I, just being very sensitive people. And and that would make me feel a sense of, whew, you know, relief, mm. like, oh, it's not just me. And I can I can have things going on. I can be complicated, but I can still be happy and live a successful life. I just believe in speaking honestly and smashing stigmas and not carrying shame around. I think in some ways the shame associated with mental illness, the embarrassment, I think that can be more toxic. That can make the problem a lot worse. So, yeah, talking about these things. And obviously there's a limit to talking. I think you can tell all these stories and um, you can can stay in a place of being a victim if you just keep talking about these things. So I do believe in also, you know, other types of therapy. But yeah, I think for me, get putting words to these stories and these feelings was has always been the first step in healing. And and I'm conscious also that even this morning, there might be one person listening to us. There, there, there no doubt is someone who is currently going through issues. I mean, when you look back on yourself now and you've made a full recovery, which is great. But if you think back about when you were ill, do you understand more how it happened, why it happened, and what was the key to your recovery? It's a difficult question to answer, which I'm sorry if this sounds like a cheap way to get out of this answer, but that's why I wrote my book because, and my book is like over 400 pages, because I had to go in that much depth to explain what was going on. And my book is just one person's insight, what's going on. And I, I really tried to go back to that mindset and bring people there. But I'm trying to make the case that I suppose you have to deal with the root problem, with the stuff underneath. I think, you know, there are problems like eating disorders, like substance abuse, addictions, Mm. all that. And they're sort of the big, dramatic, distracting problem that everyone's so worried about because they can see it and because it has very serious repercussions on your health and they can be life-threatening but in some ways they are distracting you from what is going on beyond that and it's so easy to get distracted because you're worried you care about these people you want you just want them to be out of danger um but like until you really 
sit and go deep and kind of ask, why are you in so much pain that you have to do these dramatic things to yourself? And what is that pain? And how do we work on that? I think you're just never really going to get to the problem. But it's so hard. You know, people ask me that when towards the end of the book, um, when I was writing it, they were kind of saying, so you're you're talking about all your issues with the medical system and, and the way your treatment was handled. So what what do you suggest? What's the best way? And it's like, <laughs> there's no one way. There's it's it's complicated. You have to treat everyone as an individual. And I think biggest part of it, I think, is to the person has to really want to recover. For me, that took a long time because I had such low self-esteem, such I had such a poor opinion of myself that I really just felt like, what would be the point? You know, this thing is making me feel okay. It's sort of numbing me. It's in a you know in a sick way. It's getting me all this attention. It's what I'm known for now. So why would I give that all up? And and for me, I had to find something like a much bigger dream that really made me want to. Uh, really made it okay to let go of the eating disorder. And that was like art and creativity for me, which is, I believe it's like an antithetical sort of energy because um, the eating disorder is so much about perfectionism and numbers and rules. And then art is so wild and uncontrollable and you have to just let go. You have to really surrender. And the more I sort of played with that energy, the more the perfectionist streak kind of I didn't need it. It died away. And, um, you know, I just felt like I got to a point where I loved my life. I loved what I was doing. And I I didn't want to be kind of trying to keep up this sort of safe perfectionist system going because that's what it was. It was all about safety. Uh, it was about trying to feel like I know who I am, I know what my weight is, and as long as I have that, I'm okay. And I just think that's a really limited way to live. Like, you deprive yourself of so much pleasure. So do you think the fact you became so successful, I mean, that could have gone both ways, because mm-hmm, success sure. can completely throw people, especially when you're as young as you are. Mm. But in fact, it helped you, didn't it? I think it was more about the people I was around. Like, I think if it could have gone... I was in a lovely environment, you know. What was nice about those movies was that I think maybe it starts to me, maybe it starts with the books. Like they were, they were really well written. They were heartfelt. They, they are very well, you know, they're, people fall in love with them and they have this nostalgia around them. And I think that just attracted a very nice production team and they were very protective of us. My family are the most down-to-earth people you could meet so I, I think with all that going it was like I had a safe space amidst the storm of like the acting industry and fame and all that craziness so yeah yeah it did help me I suppose it helped me to kind of keep a handle on and to, to you know I'd seen how how brilliant it can be how great it is to be around all these creative people and um yeah I wanted to keep moving in that direction and your memoir, it is called, for anyone who wants to buy it this morning, The Opposite of Butterfly Hunting. And I obviously know, because I've been lucky enough to interview before, way back when, Havana, you wrote to J.K. Rowling, of course, and not everyone this morning listening will know that story. Do you mind telling them that story again? Yeah, I wrote to her when I was around 11, 12, when I was kind of in and out of recovery in clinics because... It was, you know, Harry Potter was very significant to me at that time. 
still is, but especially then because as anyone who's had an eating disorder or who's been around someone with that will know, it consumes your mind. It's a full-time obsession and it's very rare to get relief from that. And for me, Harry Potter was that relief. I would I would open those books and I, I wouldn't be thinking about food or my problems or my obsession. And it was, that was just such a beautiful, profound feeling. It really made me it, like being in love with something else and, and having something else that I was equally as fascinated by, that was like a lifeline really. So I wrote to her to tell her thank you really and just because I felt, I just felt connected to this person. And yeah, I was very lucky back in those days she used to read fan mail and every now and then she would write to, I actually met later on, I went to one of her book events and there were there were six other kids, there was seven of us who she'd written to over the years. And it was like, wow, it's really, I don't know, that to me is really amazing that somebody that creative, that busy, that successful mm. takes the time to write to young children who a lot of, you know, a lot of the other kids did have problems, medical problems. Yeah, so I was one of those kids and we wrote back and forth to each other for years. And I don't know the answer to this. So when you got the part, did she know you were the person who'd been writing to her? No, 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 because I was so worried because I had told her all about my problem. And I was so worried that she would feel, I don't want a sick person playing yeah. one of my most beloved characters and a character who is so pure of heart, pure of mind, which I just felt I wasn't at the time. So I didn't want to tell her. <laughs> I just in thought, case. Well, I just thought maybe she'll forget me. Maybe she'll forget my name. And I just thought I would I would not write to her and I'd introduce myself to her as a new person. But um, the producers, they send like casting lists to her to just to say, oh, this is who will be playing such and such. And she read it and saw my name. And then she wrote to me. And I was still kind of hiding from her because I was just like, oh, she's going to be so angry and she's going to be so disappointed. And anyway, she was she was delighted and she was so kind about it. She was delighted. Yeah. And in fact, so delighted. She included you in her roll call of the big seven actors from the Harry Potter series. And as an actor, she said you'd got in her head and influenced the way she wrote your character. So that must have been important to Oh, hear. my God. That so was, lovely to hear. That was huge. Yeah, yeah. That's the biggest compliment. Yeah, that's... Yeah, can't take that away from me. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. And your success has continued. Of course, you were in Silent Witness late last year, but playing a much darker role. Given the fact that the Harry Potter films were so huge, were you worried a bit that you might be typecast after it ended? But the fact that you were in Silent Witness playing something much darker, it didn't mm, happen. I think... So I've, I've done a good bit of theatre the last few years, not actually not so much with the pandemic, but before then I was. And I've, I've noticed they're not as worried about typecasting there. They'll let you play anything. It's great. <laughs> so I've had a lot more freedom there and I'd really love to do more theatre, kind of go back to that. I took a break to, to write my book, but yeah, I don't, I don't think about that too much. I sometimes have had people say to me, like I would talk to writers or casting directors and you know, I'd love your show, I'd love to be involved. And they'd be like, oh, I thought you'd be too famous for this. And I find that so that really hurts me. It's so upsetting because, oh, do do people think I, you know, don't want to get my hands dirty and don't want to, because I, I love, I love nothing more than doing a big ensemble play with lots of actors and learning from them. So, yeah, I think I, more than worrying about de- being typecast, I, I worry that the whole Harry Potter name has maybe alienated me a bit. 
Because um, people think you're too big. Well, but there are probably lots of people listening this morning. who go, I want her in my next play. I wish. <laughs> Please. <laughs> and listen, Contact you me. also appeared in Dancing with the Stars in the US. You finished third. Mm. Was that fun? They'll oh, all be chasing fun. you here now for Dancing with the Stars, <laughs> of course. Do you know, I think that's how I got the American one. I think I got offered the Irish one. Yeah. And my agent was like, we'll get more money from the US one. <laughs> <laughs> so she was like tried to I think she parlayed that into into that um, so that's how that happened but yeah it was brilliant third place yeah did you love it I loved it I had the best time it was so good I know it's like cheesy and all that but I, I loved it it was just I mean when are you ever going to get the opportunity to have an amazing like world class dancer just focus all their attention on you I mean that's thousands of pounds of tuition really so yeah it was such an honour and I loved every moment yeah and I you know I just felt so lucky that I made it to the final got to do it all because I didn't have to miss any of it yeah it was once in a lifetime thing Mm. they'll be dragging you here now (laughs) (laughs) have you done it no, not no. And, and I wouldn't. <laughs> Would no. you not? No, Why? I'd be terrible. Oh, it's so fun though. The um, challenge. No, we could do it together as a duo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd be up for that. <laughs> um, as we come to the end, do you ever see any of the characters from Harry Potter? I think, was it last December? Did you have a cast reunion return to Hogwarts? Yeah, we did. Yeah. What was uh, that like? It was in November. It was quite strange, honestly, for me, because, so they were, it was celebrating 20 years of the films and it's not that long for me. It's more like, 10, 15, because mm. um, it was 20 years since Philosopher's Stone came out. And so there was a lot of those characters from the very first one long time ago. And I felt a little bit like, how did I get this invite, you know? <laughs> and there was, after the actual filming, there was, they all had a dinner and they were all reminiscing about all these times I didn't even know about. And all these times I was kind of thinking, I was sat at home looking at your pictures on my wall. This is very, very weird to be here. So, yeah, felt very lucky, but a little out of place. <laughs> the memoir we spoke about, I mean, it was really well written. I know you're heading today to the Hinterland Festival of Literature and Art in Kells. Are you going to write more in the future? Is that a plan? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that that's actually always been my plan. I just, it takes a long time to muster the, I don't know, the confidence to sit down and write, really. But um one of the best things really about the book being written is like, oh, OK, I can write a book. So I know that now. I have that knowledge and I really want to write fiction. I think I want to do that more than anything. But I'm I'm hugely intimidated by it. I just you have to do so much work before you even put pen to paper to create in a world. It's it's so much easier to write about things that have happened. <laughs> so hopefully. But yeah, that's my plan. Write fiction next. I want to write a novel. Everyone says who writes a successful novel, just write. Mm, that's true. You're yeah. right. Yeah, just start it. Yeah, yeah. That's always the ugly uh, truth about writing <laughs> that you don't want to hear. And I was lucky enough before we walked into the studio today, I met you outside with your very nice new boyfriend. My nice new boyfriend, yes. <laughs> Do you mind telling me about him? I, I don't mind. I don't know if he'll mind. He's very shy. We won't tell him. hopefully he doesn't listen to this yeah new boyfriend it's really going well he's um we met met him in london he's he's french he's quiet but yeah he's meeting the whole family this weekend so i kind of felt like look it's my sister's wedding all the attention will be on her it's fine but um they'll have loved him of course because he's so fab yeah yeah he yes he's he's so easy to get along with well, Ivana Lynch, it's so nice to talk to you again. Thank you. Um, so nice to talk to you too, Mary. Best of luck. Start writing that book now. I will. Thank you. You're going to get lots of offers now to do plays. <laughs> and I know you're appearing today at the Hinterland Festival of Literary and Arts in Kells. Mind yourself, Ivana. Thank you. You too.